Welcome to the Adventure Days podcast, where I show you how to create the life that you deserve. From travel inspiration to self-improvement and more, Adventure Days has you covered. Hey guys, welcome to the Adventure Days podcast. I am here with another episode with none other than Diana Hernandez. And we connected in San Francisco a few months ago. Diana is of Grieve and Live Coaching, and we're going to talk all about her journey and her experience transitioning into that role. Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you for having me. So oh, my, excited. My pleasure. So so excited to have you on. Why don't we just start with a background for the audience? You know, start as early as you can, and we'd love to hear your background and your story. Okay. Um, well, as you said, I'm Diana Hernandez. I was born and raised in Houston, Texas to a family from El Salvador. And my fam, my parents immigrated over to Houston, which is where I was born. So I am the youngest of four girls. And growing up, we were very, very close. Um, my oldest sister, the oldest, is eight years apart. And then I had two sisters in the middle. <clears throat> and so growing up, it was great. Um, we were up and rising immigrant family trying to make our way through. And overall, um, I guess it was, I don't have any like terrible memories, you know, like I think we all have our struggles and all of that, you know, just trying to figure life out, going through the stuff. Um, but I did have some experiences that really set kind of like this course correction of what I call like redefining my journey. Right. And so, um, I was very close to my sisters. They were my best friends. And this will jump into Grieve and Live, which is probably what you're more interested in in the audience. No, we're um, we're very interested in in your story. (laughs) Yeah, because it's like, what is Grieve and Live? And it's exactly what that means. Um, So growing up in Houston, really close. I would say my sisters almost raised me because my parents were uh, always working. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I will say my mom was a little bit like verbally abusive growing up, not as supportive, yep. but I just leaned into my sisters where, who, you know, just were like super t- protective and really guarded me and just allowed me to have a fun childhood with them. And we were always doing like the stuff that, you know, girls do. My sister was a tomboy. I remember she used to fight boys as well <laughs> just because she was always getting into trouble, mm-hmm. but it was fun. Um, what, what were the, uh, the age differences? So the oldest was eight years older than I was. Then there was it's pretty much a two and three year gap. So the next one was two years after that. The next year, the next one was two, actually 17 months after that. And then I, me and my third oldest sister, her name's Raquel. She was uh, three years, like two and a half years older than me. Got it. So, so you were the youngest of four girls. Youngest of four girls. Yeah. Okay. And um, so growing up. Went to school, had a good upbringing, uh, went to college. First, in my, uh, first, actually, among my sisters to graduate from college. And so that was like a big pride and joy for me. And, um, and my sisters were always there to support me. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated uh, college, I had the opportunity to get a career, start my career mm-hmm. in, out here in San Francisco, which is where I currently live. And so that's what brought me out, and it was great. And I would say, like, for me growing up, 
or just post-graduation. Life was about like really focusing on my career. I wanted to go out there and really like succeed because as I mentioned, my family was an immigrant family and I had this pressure of really wanting to do well for myself. So mm. that was my did focus. You, did you want to do well for yourself because growing up you saw your parents were overextended and they didn't have the credentials maybe to get a certain job and you were like, I'm going to turn it around and I know what I didn't have and I, I want something different for me. Yeah, absolutely. I I knew what I didn't have. My parents were, for good, really great at, like, working hard. They started small side businesses, but that didn't, like, actually turn into positive ROI probably until we were older, but definitely not when we were young. Mm -hmm. So, for me, I, I just... I wanted to make up for what I'd never had from, and it wasn't so much like I wanted like this big house type of stuff. I just didn't want to worry financially. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I like to travel. That's something I really love to do. And I always had this like desire to travel since I was little. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling at age 15, my mom that I would go to 40 countries by the time I'm 40 (laughs) and um, and actually I've gone 21, so I'm, wow. I'm almost there. That's, a, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I'd love to, yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's always been about, uh, being financially healthy. So, and like really enjoying my career so that I can do the things I want to do. Right. It wasn't about like having this mega mansion. It's about doing these fun activities that you see on TV or now on social or you Brandon, who's inspirational when you travel, that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, so life was rocking and rolling and until about six years ago, which is when my sister, the second oldest Karen, was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And she had, um, at that time, she was diagnosed with stage four uh, cancer. It was completely unexpected, really like rocked our world because my great-grandmother lived to 105. Like nobody wow. really died in her family. <laughs> so it was just like surreal of how does somebody who always worked out, ate very healthy, get cancer. And she particularly had gastritic cancer, which is um, essentially a tumor in your stomach mm-hmm. and your food does no longer digest. And that's obviously a vital organ in your, for you, for any individual that they need a healthy stomach. So how did you, battled- uh, how did it first materialize? How did you first hear the news? It was just out of a, um, essentially out of like, a, a, I mean, I remember the day it was like a movie. Um, my sister called me up, my oldest sister, her name's Evelyn. She called and said, you know, I really need you to talk to Karen because I've noticed she's drastically lost weight and I really think something is wrong. This doesn't seem normal. I don't either. She's doing something or something is wrong. But the tone in her voice sounded as if something is wrong, not that my sister would could have been anorexic type of thing. Right, right. Um, and, and I actually, <clears throat> so this was six years ago, so it's actually seven years ago, so it's 2010. A lot of people had been laid off. My sister had been laid off during that financial time. So she was unemployed at that time, which is actually uh also part of a crazy story too. She was unemployed. Um, and my natural reaction was, well, she must be stressed. You know, she just hasn't been eating well. There must be a ton of stuff going on. And, and Evelyn just, her voice said, no, you need to call. And so I did. And and you were living, you were in San Francisco. I'm still in San Francisco. All of my sisters are back in Houston. In Houston. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I called and, um, and she said, you know, and I called Karen. She's like, no, I'm just not feeling well, but I think I'll be fine. So that was like day one. And I, I went on my day 
nothing really, I didn't really think too much of it, honestly, if I'm, you know, candid, I was just, again, focused on my life, my career, killing it in my, in my head, I'm killing it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then I, uh, so then t- two days later, again, the oldest sister who is our second mom, essentially, she called and said, you know, I took matters into my own hands and I took her to the ER and it's not good. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, well, they've run tests and they said, they're really great. I'm, they're glad I took her to the ER because, um, they've found a tumor. And I was like, a tumor, like, what does that mean? And she's like, we don't know. They're running tests. And so I just had this moment of like, I don't know what this means. Right. Like I was like, yeah. this, is, what does this mean? <laughs> That's kind of what I said. I was like, what does this mean? Um, and she said, I don't know. I'll just, I'll let you know. And I was like, okay. So I just was really like thrown off. I like, what does this mean? You kind of don't know what to do at that moment because you're going to work. You're kind of going on your day and, you're, and then you're thinking, okay, do I need to do something? Do I need to research? Like, what does it mean? Right. It was pretty cliffhanger type of information. And then they called a few hours later and, uh, they said, you know, it's actually cancer. And I was like, cancer. Right. And then, Jeez. If you've ever uh, had news you don't expect, right, that that you kind of have initial denial. And so it's like, how could you have cancer, right? That yeah. was my um, immediate reaction. I was like, what? What kind? And the, the amount of questions that come into your mind of, like, is this true? Is this possible? How is this possible? Why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Maybe they have made a mistake. Maybe the doctors confused her test. Like, no, my sister doesn't have cancer to, oh my God, what do I do? Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I was just a mess uh, that day and I literally called my boss and said, I, I don't think I can go to work. <laughs> I think I've just heard this news. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, this is where life also supports you with unexpe- when things unexpectedly happen, life supports you with these just great support system in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, my boss was super supportive and he said, cancer is real. You need to go to Houston. And I was like, okay, I actually hadn't really thought or registered in my brain that I need to go to Houston at that moment until mm-hmm. I called him and said, my sister was just diagnosed with cancer. I don't know what this means. Oh, he said, you need to go. Yeah. So did I literally got on a flight which side note it's always great to accumulate miles <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know you never know when you might need them you never know always have a buffer for a one flight on your on your card yeah. on your miles because it really was like I just got on a flight and we're doing miles and I went yeah. and I, I arrived it was out of a movie like just so many questions like what happened what's going on was, all was of your that. sister living in her own place or was everyone in the family was in a house together no, you know, like I, at this time we're all, I was in my, um, mid twenties. My sister was in her early thirties at that time. So she was living in her, um, her, at her own place with right. her, actually she was a lesbian. So she was living with her partner at that time. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so, but my mom was super, uh, I mean, hysterical. We're all hysterical yeah. also. So that was overwhelming. What was, I think really crappy about arriving there is that when I arrived, so essentially between that initial phone call to a, a full diagnosis that it's cancer, it's probably five days. So when I arrived that fifth day or the sixth day, my sister had been discharged from the hospital because she did not have insurance. 
And it just seemed like such a catastrophe. Like, what do you mean now somebody's diagnosed with cancer and she can't get any sort of health treatment or anything? Yeah. And so um, it was just surreal mm-hmm. that, that the fact that, like, no, she doesn't have cancer. I mean, she doesn't have insurance, so therefore she, we can't do anything for her. Um, and again, life supports you in a positive way. Houston is one of the only counties in the U.S. that has insurance available to all its county members. Mm. It's just county hospital. It's not the best hospital, but it's some form of, of insurance that you can actually get some help. Mm. So we, you know, like I didn't know how to get insurance for people, but, you know, <laughs> for unemployed people. So anyway like through contacts through friends somebody knew somebody at the hospital and helped us out through how to get this insurance and in spite of her diagnosis she was approved for insurance and essentially a week later well not even a week like three days later to four days was already at this new hospital mm-hmm. that started or some chemo mm-hmm. so that was um that was uh the initial kind of like you're, you know, uh, running along or walking and then some boulder comes in front of you and knocks you off the beach. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I'll fast forward, I guess, to, that was 11 months and of treatment chemo. Um, and my sister fought really hard, but ultimately she lost her battle with cancer. Mm. And for me, I was very grateful and obviously sad. I was grateful from the support I got from my job as far as like, I was down in Houston taking care of her, working remote, um, off and on for 11 months. And I feel very blessed to have done that. I also just feel blessed that I was able to be so present with her in such a critical time. Mm-hmm. And she was like, one of, well, she is one of my best friends. And so I just, I, when it all happened, I was like, even though it's crappy and shitty, I'm still just so grateful because without that, uh, you know, I would have tried the world to have known my sister because she really is like my best friend. So yeah, that's, hey, you know, that's <laughs> positive. Yeah, and and I, and I just want to uh, take a second to thank you for coming on here and sharing this and opening up. I know it's it's not easy these things to even you know confront them if you even told this to yourself out loud I could imagine it being you know painful and, and trigger a lot of emotions so to share this yeah. with me I just want to say thank you for sharing this with our listeners everyone who's listening you know we have 11,000 on the email list right now another 70,000 Instagram followers so no pressure but I just want to say <laughs> I just want to say um, you you know, every one of these people who's going to be listening to this is going to benefit in some way. And that's because you've come out here to share this. So I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. Actually, thank you so much for saying that because when Karen died, I was not vulnerable. I was very focused on trying to keep it together. Mm-hmm. And I was just pretend that I went to work the week after she was her funeral mm-hmm. and I Nobody really knew, like, I'm very fortunate. My office knew and everything, but, you know, they were like, wow, I would have never guessed you were going through all this because you were so focused. I was so focused on trying to maintain it, keep this upbeat moment. Well, deep down inside, I'm, like, dying because I have never had this flood of grief come into my life. 
and this flood of emotions and I didn't know how to manage it. So I would just sit here and pretend that I was all fine and that it's completely normal to lose <laughs> your, yeah. your best friend to cancer. I was like, that's fine, you know? Yeah. It's like that, uh, that, <laughs> that meme where, uh, the dog is like having coffee in his house and the house is all in blazing flames. It's all on fire. And there's just a little bubble and the dog's going, this is fine. <laughs> it's like, it is it is not fine at all, but it is not. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll move on to the defining moment of emotions because emotions are very critical. And yeah. I do think that both we label emotions are good or bad, and we try to focus so much on trying to live these good emotions, like these positive ones, like, oh my god, I'm so happy all the time. Right. And the minute we feel a negative one, even from when you're little, right, you're told to suck it up, don't cry. Yeah. Or, you know, it's it's not a big, so you start over time to develop these like ways of suppressing these quote unquote negative emotions. When in reality is emotions are just a language of different feelings, essentially a language of your soul. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, we spend so much energy on trying to just feel the good, the ones we label as good versus acknowledging and recognizing the ones that we label as bad. And for the listeners is don't, um, don't think of them as first good or bad. It's just a spectrum. The way you would use certain words to describe how you're feeling, you would say, I'm really angry. Just because you're angry, that's great. You acknowledge it, but you don't go after the anger, right? Mm -hmm. But you at least acknowledge how you feel. And so that's the first thing is we sit there and try to even deny those labels as bad ones. And then the second piece is there is a value in surrendering to that emotion because that emotion will transform and allow you to learn something. So Mm -hmm. I didn't learn that the first time, (laughs) but I do (laughs) believe that it's critical that we open ourselves up to both this to the spectrum of emotions that we feel and they are truly for here for a reason. Um, I'll just give a simple analogy. You know, if you think about we want to pretend we don't want to feel these emotions and we don't want to experience them. But just when you look at a dog, they're actually limited to very few emotions that they can do. One is like shake their body intensely out of joy and happiness when they see, you know, you come home and they're like just <laughs> shaking all around. Yeah. And they can't sit there and say, I'm so happy to see you and I'll hug you. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then the other thing, they just like bark when there's like a warning or they're hungry that's all they can do is just bark 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 and then the other thing is like whimper when they're sad so they're limited to three ways of expression (laughs) of emotions yeah and and so it's kind of like funny because obviously they figure out a way to tell you what they're feeling or doing Mm -hmm. but imagine if us humans are only limited to three things like we would be i guess dogs or robots (laughs) (laughs) But would we really choose to X out all the spectrum of emotions that we have to work with? And I think if given the choice, we would say no. But essentially, we are trying to shut down these emotions when we don't open or surrender to them. So yep. um, that's the first thing. So like explore the emotions. Don't be afraid of them. There's healthy ways to feel them um, and not necessarily act them out in a violent way, but there are healthy ways to feel and surrender to these emotions. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you, I have to tell you the defining moment of when I knew I could no longer pretend my life was like covered. <laughs> <laughs> I have to pretend, um, like I have to open up and surrender to these emotions. And that yeah. was, I think it was like two months after my sister had passed away. 
And I had a presentation in front of our executive committee at that time. I still work for a Fortune 500 company, and I was honored to be called and do this presentation in front of the executive committee. So there was a CEO and the top 12 executives. Mm-hmm. The company is over 10,000 employees, so it's a big Fortune. Actually, it's a Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's 30 minutes right before I go in, and I'm already have my presentation. I've been practicing, and I'm ready. But as I get up from my desk, I all of a sudden just couldn't really breathe. And um, I was like, that's weird. Why can't I breathe? <laughs> like, I've never had this. Yeah. So that's what my brain thinks. And I'm literally, I was like, oh, I feel really shaky. And all of a sudden, it just, like, hit me. And I, because I, at this point, I just start gasping. I'm like, what's going on? And I've never had asthma or anything like that to make me think I have a health issue. And I just realized, it just clicked, and it hit, like, a ton of bricks, that I was having an anxiety attack mm. because I had been trying to pretend all these things have been going well in my life and that I could bounce back, like bounce right back up from all this that I had just gone through, seeing my, my sister get diagnosed, see her body truly deteriorate in front of us, no longer see who that person is, experience this horrendous treatment of chemo with cancer and just seeing how cancer eats somebody alive until the very last day when she moved on. Um, and then for me, pretending like that it was all, I guess, I don't know if I pretended it was normal, but I definitely pretended that there was nothing wrong. Yeah. Um, and because I had been just running away, I literally, in this critical moment of when I was about to do this major presentation, have a complete anxiety attack. Mm. And I sit down, I'm breathing, and I think in my head, I'm having an anxiety attack. This is what happens when you run away. And yeah. it's just like, this shit sucks. <laughs> that's, that, that's what went in my head. Um, um, so, so did you, tw- um, did you have to go straight to the doctor? Were you able to calm it down? Calm it down. Yeah. I just, you know, then this is where somehow your higher power, your soul kind of steps in and tells you to calm down and you just know you'll be fine. And I calm down, breathe into it. I think five minutes later, I just, um, it was a good 10 minutes. So I'm just like breathing, slowing down, trying not to push myself to get, like get over it. I was just like, all right, well, if you're having this attack, let's just breathe it. Yeah. Um, which is by far the first time I've ever experienced doing that. Right. Like I was just breathing into it and it's like, okay, okay, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And I kept just repeating that in my head. And then that slowly just calmed my heart right down and calmed me down and mm-hmm. drank a glass of water And then I went into this meeting, um, just kind of like a little bit out of this world moment where like my brain is like, did you really just experience that? Like focus on this other thing, right? Yeah. Million voices. Oh my God. Yeah. I did. I ended up doing well, but it really, it shook me as far as, okay, are you going to continue to pretend that everything is fine or are you going to do something? And it was a pretty defining moment of, all right, you need to do something about this. I would say, I don't think I necessarily broke down and went and did something crazy. Um, I just went and sought some counseling. Yeah. That was my next step. And that was a like truly I would say that was the moment where that the personal development and transformation started. Just that simple step of admitting to myself that I wanted some sort of help or support to help me work through this emotions and all the things I had been living through. Yeah. So 
it was defining and it was what started the journey. Um, but I, even at that, I, I wasn't a hundred percent. Like I would go every week and then sometimes I'd cancel because I was too busy for work. So I really had too, a, too busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for significance in my yeah. work. I mean, I have a, I have a woman I work with once a week and I can, I try to come up with every excuse in the book to try to cancel with her. I mean, I don't think I've ever actually canceled. One time I was out drinking with my friends and I forgot and I was like, (laughs) oh shit. And I had to call her like from the bar be like, Beverly, I'm so sorry. I forgot. (laughs) But, uh, but no, I mean, every time and, uh, you know, it's, it's cause this stuff's hard. It's like what you were saying earlier about processing and feeling your emotions and how society teaches so many of us that we're, you know, to, to stifle them and keep them down. And in, in therapy or counseling and personal growth for me has been a lot of like, come on, we got to get these emotions out. You got to feel them, Mm -hmm. process them. Ultimately you can let them pass, but it can be a very painful, but you know, process, but that needs to happen. And yeah, I've, I've been there too. Like, you know, not, you know, that uh, maybe next week I'll go. (laughs) Well, so I'll say that, um, now that I do coaching on grief, I will tell people (laughs) this fun analogy that at the end of the day, emotions are like farts. They're going to come out one way (laughs) or the other. So it's kind of better to listen to that, excuse yourself and go to the right place to release it than to pretend it's not there until your stomach is bloated. (laughs) I I love these analogies. These are great. Thank you. Um, so anyway, so you were so sister, the panic attack started some growth, but not a hundred percent. Then yeah. then what happened? So uh, it's yeah, not a hundred percent. I'm probably like mentally. I'm telling myself I should be focusing more on myself, not necessarily prioritizing work. Uh, this is kind of where I got a little sidetrack after all that happened of working remote for a year with my family or, you know, with my sister back in Houston, I come back and they promote me and they're like, you did such a great job. I was like, Oh, okay. So right. I'm getting significance from this promotion. Mm-hmm. After I tried to handle all this. I'm thinking like I'm on my way. Mm-hmm. So I still wasn't a hundred percent committed to the personal growth, right. but 15 months after my sister passed away, Raquel, who is um, my third oldest sister, she at that time was a teacher in Korea teaching English. And I had gone over to visit her in in Korea for Chinese New Year time frame. Mm -hmm. And the day, and we went out, we went, we went out, we had a good time. And, you know, Raquel and I specifically had actually drifted apart a little bit after Karen had died, Mm -hmm. particularly because of just there was this difference of opinions on how to handle her treatment. Raquel felt that we were like rushing her into treating her treated. Uh, I felt that I need to honor Karen's wishes. So it was a lot of like, well, what does Karen want? Like what's better for her? So so Karen wanted to jump right into chemo, but other people were thinking it might've been better to wait a little bit. Right. Because of course, once if anybody that's had a loved one pass away of cancer, you always think about like, well, what if I would have done something different? Yeah. Could she be around? Right. And, and I will say those questions can almost eat you to death because you'll always wonder. Mm -hmm. And at some point you have to just, you do a little bit, I guess for me, I got peace and I surrendered to the fact that I really tried to do when my sister was going through everything, I would really ask her like, what do you want? What are your wishes? Um, 
when Karen passed away, I actually had planned with her, her funeral and my, nobody knew that, but I planned it because I really wanted to know what she wanted. And so we had the details down to the flowers and everything. And, um, and that's also a different conversation. Like how do you plan a funeral with somebody that's <laughs> passing away? But it was, yeah. it was great. I had a great memory of that, but my, some family members, including Raquel was really upset. Like, well, why did you plan? Like, do you want her to die? I was like, no, I was just kind of accepting of where she was. And Karen told me herself that she knew her end was very near. So yeah. when she told me her, she knew that the end was near. She's like, I'm done. I'm tired. I, I think I'm done. I can no longer do this treatment anymore. Yeah. And I don't see the point. I was like, okay, so do you, what does that mean? Do you want to I was like, what are your wishes? And it started with that. Yeah, and, and you you did nothing wrong by doing that. You were, that was the bond you had with Karen. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's so beautiful that you did that. And, I, I, you know, from the limited info I have about this situation, it sounds like Raquel and maybe other family members, rather than facing all those painful emotions we've been talking about, you know, blocking them off, they go into the excuses or the what ifs. You know, because because if I go to what if or I try to blame Diana for something, then I don't have to face the fact that she's really gone or I don't have to face the reality because I can stay distracted in these other arguments that are are, are really moot, obviously. And, um, you know, that's that's probably where it was coming from. Yeah, and I and Raquel and I used to talk a lot about. Um, well, Raquel's. I remember her questions were always like, "What if we did this? Maybe she'd still be here." And I would come from a, I don't even know if that matters because I don't think she's going to be. You know, I don't think she would have survived. It was stage four. It was already drastic. And she's like, "Why are you so negative?" I'm like, "I'm not. I'm realistic." Right? No, it's and it's not but, even <clears throat> negative. It's like okay, but like if Ra- Raquel, the way she wanted to have these conversations. It's really, you know, those are just painful, um, unnecessary, like the what ifs. Okay, yeah, maybe something could have slightly been done differently, but but we're here. And, you know, this is the reality, and it's very sad. But, you know, I've dealt with people like that, obviously not in situations this painful. But it's, you know, it's probably because she was grappling or denial or couldn't accept the fact that Karen was gone. And it it, show, it shows me that you were uh, further along in your grieving process and more at peace with the situation by not yeah. going into those hypotheticals. Yeah, exactly. And so <clears throat> I guess from that standpoint, I, I, you know, in hindsight, I think Raquel did struggle with accepting just that Karen did have cancer because again, you know, our family never had cancer really in our ever. I really don't know of anybody, um, not even extended cousins, that type of thing. So she struggled with that. And so when she was living in Korea, she, you know, this trip was supposed to be on a bonding moment and we were trying to make amends and, and, and it was hard, uh, to even be vulnerable with my sister because, again, like I had always pretended I had my shit together, and she also tried to do the same. Like, you know, and that's what, for good or for bad, uh, like our parents raised us to be very strong, very independent because they were always working. They said, "You guys need to fend for yourself, get your education, work hard." Those those type of really strong instilled morals and principles, uh, which is great. 
in certain situations and not great when it comes to emotions. So yeah, <clears throat> we had not growing up learned how to embrace our emotions. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, you know, so all the dynamic is at play and the day before I'm coming back from Korea, I wake up or yeah, the day before I wake up to find out that, that Raquel had died the previous night. And, uh, it was like, <laughs> that's your, like, what the fuck just happened? Uh, is this real? Um, I don't even understand. And so she did commit suicide the previous night. Um, she jumped off a building eight stories. And so her body was discovered, um, the, in the morning just by a passenger. Cause there was like dogs barking and that type of stuff. So, uh, imagine my shock, disbelief, surprise to find that this happened. Oh my from god! Fifteen months after Karen had died, so I was like, uh, "WTF?" As an understatement, it was like, "What is going on?" So wow. it was rough. It was yeah, rough. I mean, that's uh, just what you went through with your first sister is unimaginable. I, I couldn't imagine, you know, going through the second one. I just want to thank you again for your strength obviously the fact that you're here right now talking to me just shows in a level of strength and emotion and resilience that I don't think I've seen in another person thank you so much um yeah thank you I I cannot say that it was easy you know I think that's part of like my personal development journey has been from going from strong and uh denial and pretending everything was great to just like, you know what? Some days I'm having a great day. Others I don't, but I don't beat myself up over the bad days, right? Like when I have a moment and when I call bad, it's not even bad. It's just a moment that I call honoring my sisters, honoring the love I have for them, that love I really do still have for them. I don't, um, in my mind, they're, they're not, they're still my sisters and I still, they will always be my sisters and they'll always be in my heart. Yeah. And so, and, and again, even though it's painful to physically not see them or be with them or, you know, share holidays, they, they will always be part of my life. You know, they made such a great impact on me and, and I'm so grateful. I wouldn't trade not having my sisters, even though it's painful to not have them, I still would have them because of how much joy and love I had and to not experience that love and joy that I got from them would actually suck, I think, more than to just have gone through it. So thank you for saying that. Um, it's funny because when Raquel died, I really believe, like, that was when I went from kind of 50% to really 100%. Like, 100%, no more ignoring lies, no more ignoring the signs, the universe. Like, this, there's something here. And you got to do some discovery. You got to explore what this is, what this means. And you, you know, open up to it. And, um, so instead of coming to work one week after my sister was buried, I took a full sabbatical off of work and I said, okay guys, I'm sorry. I got (laughs) to, I'll be back in a few months. This is where, again, the world supports you work with super like, don't worry. Don't, you know, like we don't need, um, you don't need to explain yourself. You take whatever time you need to take off. And that, you know, and they're like, don't worry, you have a job when you come back. So I did, I took time off. And in that moment, um, the, um, 
by the way, just kind of side note for the travelers, because this is important of, I get this question a lot, like what happened? What did you do? The main thing I just want to highlight that if you do travel abroad extensively, make sure you kind of call the American embassy, because as a U.S. citizen, they do like to track how many Americans are in the country. And if anything, such as a situation should happen abroad, you do, that's exactly the first thing you do is just call the embassy and they help any citizen, um, with all the details, inform you. They actually handle these type of cases quite frequently hmm. and know exactly what to do. So just kind of side note for all the travelers, that type yeah, of thing. No. And fill out your passport too. There's information on on the very the after your picture on that page. There's like emergency contacts and fill that in with pencil. So just yeah. kind of PSA there. <laughs> no, thank you. The- <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of travelers listening, so thank you. For, yeah, yeah, you know because it's like. You know, and and, and you know, in hindsight, I'm really glad I was there. I like it's like one of those like if my sister was gonna pass away, that shit would have sucked had it happened had nobody been there actually. You yeah. know, yeah. So that perspective is really relevant. You know, like just changing that perspective from like why did she die to or why did she make that choice to you know at the end of the day if her life was gonna be short then I'm glad I was also there. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm glad. And I fundamentally went from 50% committed to myself and personal development to 100%. Um, I really attribute Raquel's death to the beginning of my life because I come like seeing that, seeing that ultimately she was suffering deep inside, had no way of how to process, mm-hmm. um, how to work with these emotions is truthfully what has enabled me to say, you know, at minimum, I need to do this for myself. I need to do it for my sisters. Yeah. And we need to talk about this stuff. We need to talk about our emotions. We need to talk about honoring the grief we feel, not just in death or passing of a loved one, but even sometimes grief of things that don't work out, whether it's divorces or the parents weren't that were never there for us the way we would have hoped or liked. Um, these are real emotions, and they're here to serve us in a positive way. Yeah. We're so focused on that out so yeah and, and what a what, what a thing that you've done here by turning such a painful painful situation into such a blessing I mean what you went through and what Raquel was going through you now are doing grief coaching and grief counseling to so not only have you you know most people go through this it's like how the hell can I even get through this shit myself how can yeah. I, I even get back to like treading water get my head get the oxygen that I need not only yeah. are you doing that but you are going now around the world or wherever you're doing your coaching the most and finding these people who need it too and helping them and what you've done is you said okay the Raquel's out there who who need a certain type of help. I'm going to provide that to them, and, and you're going to say you're saving lives. So, you know, as, as tragic as losing two people was, I guarantee you, your business you will save many, many more lives than the two that you lost. Thank you so much. That really means a lot because that's that that was that was what I realized in all of this. I'm like, there's got to be a reason for this pain and. This, 
fucking shit. <laughs> you know, this grief. <laughs> like, what does it mean and why? You know, yeah. and rather than focus on like, why did this happen to me? Which is a very common question. I is like, okay, this is for a reason. I know this. I know at the core of my soul that there is no way that the probability of somebody losing two sisters in such a short time, one from cancer and not, and I'm not going to lie when Karen died of cancer, I would, I remember, I would think like it would have been easier had it just been a quick situation. Cause then I wouldn't have seen her suffer to then when Raquel died, who died instantly. Right. Mm. Thinking like, Oh shit, maybe I shouldn't have wished that either. Right. Because it wasn't <laughs> any easier like, yeah. when she died because there was no goodbye. So I encourage anybody to you know, in any situation, mine is on the very extreme, but in any situation, whether it's a off job offer that didn't pan out, the relationship that didn't work out, the parents that haven't been supportive or the friends you thought would be there, the, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all the stories we all have, rather than thinking about like the, uh, the other side where we really in our mind think it's better, it's not, you know, each experience we have is for a reason. And so, open yourself up to what that experience is and surrender to it because there is nine times there's always a lesson but half of the time it's just changing our perspective on what the situation is mm. to then open ourselves up so yeah yeah we all have that capacity to change our perspective yeah absolutely yeah. so um you know obviously i'd love to hear i think we'd all love to hear about your uh grieve and live uh, coaching um yeah. i'd also love to hear more about your journey and, and the work you did after these things happened and you know how you know because i think listeners all have things in our lives uh, problems like you said relationships divorces jobs we don't like and and you obviously have a huge toolkit and all these tools to work yeah. through these things so you know we'd love to hear your tips or more analogies and <laughs> stuff like that but you know we'd also love to hear what you've been up to so feel free yeah. to approach those in any order you want well i'll start with when i took my sabbatical I, uh, that following week, so it was, we buried, we brought my sister back. We had a funeral for her. She's buried next to my other sister. Um, so that's great. Uh, it was very joyful. It was actually, I will say we honestly focused so much on their celebrating their lives that both funerals were like rocking awesome. <laughs> so they were really fun. A lot of people just share those great positive stories that like even stories you've never heard. And like, you know, when people open up about how that person impacted their life, it's just really beautiful. So from that perspective, I was just so grateful for all the people that showed up and gave support, um, yeah. to both my sisters and our family. Um, and so the following week, the week after she was buried, I just literally got online. I was like, I need a retreat. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't know why, but I'm obsessed with finding a retreat. And I did. I found a retreat that was for women only. Mm-hmm. It was a week long. And this retreat uh, essentially promised you that you would find your core of who you are at your essence, which sounded exactly like what I wanted because I had been going at this point, it had been two years of both putting my sisters first, which is great, you know, but I have between focusing on my career for so long and then these events that happened with both of the sisters, I had lost sense of what was important to me just from a pure, like what makes me happy? Who am I? What are my values? What are, what do I care about in life? And, um, and I did a lot of that discovery when I went to this retreat, which was phenomenal. I was able to meet 
99 women from all over the world. There was a ton of women from Europe, a ton of women from the U.S. The retreat was in Florida. And so it was just phenomenal. And I was just like, I think I'm home between uh, just how women opened up, right? And it was, yeah. and it was a lot of women of trying to have their stuff together, very strong and really successful, but at the same time, unhappy in certain areas of their life. Yeah. So from that standpoint, I just kind of felt like, not that I figured it out, but just at least knew I was not along, alone in my journey. Yeah. And so it was just like, I feel like that's a really important point worth just mentioning because I feel like a lot of people were sort of instructed, like in a similar vein of you were saying earlier, keeping the emotions down. We yeah. also sort of are supposed to put up this veil or facade and pretend like everything's okay. And then, yeah. and you see TV commercials and magazines. So then when you come home from work and you're like, shit, my boyfriend's treating me like crap or my yeah. job sucks or I have no money or I'm not happy. You, we, we tend to feel like we're the only one with these problems. And, yeah. and like my, uh, I have an aunt who lives out in LA actually. And she said, she's a therapist. And one time she said to me, we compare our insides to other people's outsides mm-hmm. And I just, I just love that. And, and it sounds like you experienced that on the retreat. You got to see that, like, not that we should ever compare ourselves, but that if we do, it's our insides to other people's insides and that we're all in this yeah. together and that we all have things that we want to change or that we're not happy about. And I think it's really important. Uh, it's a central concept in Buddhism, too, about mm-hmm. suffering and life and I just, yeah, thank you for bringing that point up. Cause I no, thank really, you. And I'm yeah. sure you've experienced this when you go to the Tony events when it's like yeah. everybody's amped up and committed <laughs> and then they're, yeah. like, they're all going through their journey and you're like, yeah, this is what it's about, tribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you get that support. And it's funny, when we actually met um, back in June, I guess it was, I was at, that was my, I think, first ever retreat that I went to. And, oh really? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was in Carmel, California, yeah. um, and then I came to San Francisco for a couple of days, and that's when we met. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that retreat, you know, very similar, uh, smaller, but people. And, and I also just wanted to say that you remind me a lot of the guy who ran this retreat. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah, and not physically, because he's like a 70-year-old <laughs> man um, who is uh, six foot three. And, uh, but, but because um, you both took such a, such a difficult situation and proved your in, immense strength by turning it into a gift. And he runs a multi-million dollar business where he was an addict. So he runs a website called Compulsion Solutions. Um, he does, uh, he wrote like the number one book um, on relationships on Amazon called Breaking the Cycle. And he woke up one day getting his stomach pumped. He almost committed suicide. And he turned the trauma of his past into a gift. And when I went on this retreat, he was changing the lives of everyone there. He's saved and changed my life. He's changed all these guys. And it's just amazing what uh, some people like you and like this guy can do with these crazy situations and spin them into a blessing. So uh, just remind me a lot of him. Well, that's cool. (laughs) Maybe one day I will meet him. (laughs) Yeah. 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 
So I'll, I'll just share that at that retreat that I first went to is when I first heard about Tony Robbins oh, and cool. because I had a follow, uh, a fellow, uh, retreat woman and she and I stayed up. Oh my God. I mean, you know, this, you experience, you connect deeply with somebody and you just are like, oh, <laughs> you know, we're here for a reason. And so she and I stayed up late and she's like, Oh, this retreat reminds me of Tony Robbins event. And I was like, who's Tony Robbins? <laughs> And so that kind of spearheaded me coming back between the counseling and uh, the stuff I learned at in the retreat where I really identify what was important to me, what are my key values, how do I spend my time, to uh, then also learning more about Tony and his stuff and yeah. just going on YouTube. So that's what started that <laughs> that journey. Yeah, so, um, so, so what, was, um, what was deep down inside of you who was your essence that needed to come out and that did come out on that retreat you know I think it comes back to just be the youngest of four and and I was essentially taken care of and babied and always had a lot of I wasn't like spoiled in like a princess way but I also never um I definitely wasn't a princess and I never grew up wanting to be a princess. I grew up wanting to be a goddess actually. <laughs> well, I want to be a goddess and ruler of the world. Um, I still think that. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but I think I had just, because I was the youngest, it was more the opposite of being told what to do. And I would do things or put the other people first, other things first, because I didn't want to disappoint. I didn't want to, um, you know, disrespect my parents, my mom, who I had mentioned a little bit that she was also a little abusive. She was abusive, not physically, but just verbally shaming, putting you down type of stuff. And so that I really had pretended that wasn't real. Like I pretended that, Oh, all moms are mean. They're just trying to like get the best out of you. I don't know what I like pretended. Right. Um, I guess I really didn't realize how much that had impacted me at a level that, uh, I had lost kind of my voice, if that makes sense. My voice and like, no, mom, I don't feel like doing that or, you know, or, yeah, or yeah. just my voice and even my career and my voice among like not being, being in relationships I shouldn't have been because again, I didn't want to disappoint mm-hmm. those type of things. And so for me, my essence was honoring, opening up to who I am understanding what my voice is and expressing that and really living up to it. So one of the things is like books. Oh my God. When I was in high school, it was not cool to read books. (laughs) It's so simple. And now I'm like, people still like some parents still make fun of me. They're like, you read so much. I'm like, I don't care. I love reading. (laughs) You know, I don't make an apology about it. I know it sounds so weird, but that like, when I was in high school, I would pretend I didn't like books and didn't read books. It's so stupid. Like how you, yeah. like what your aunt was saying, comparing your inside to your, uh, the other externals outside. Yeah. Like who cares? Who cares yeah. about that? You know? Yeah. It's so. like, oh, okay. And it's like, I, I can totally, totally relate to that because when I was very young, I was very interested in technology. And I remember being 13 years old, coding websites, making money online like checks were coming in the mail. My parents are like, what is going on here? And then I had a very, very traumatic summer. I went to a camp and I was bullied very heavily by some kids and especially for my interest in technology. And I really sort of let it go by the wayside for many years. And, uh, uh, you know, but rather than like resent them or not move past that, I now 
run my own business and I do all the coding myself and I love the tech and I'm so fired up about it. And it's like, if someone ever questions me about that or questions you about reading, it's like, you can do what you want in your spare time, but I'm going to do <laughs> yeah. this and get the F out of here. Cause this is who exactly. I am. And, and, and we, you know, yeah. No, it just reminds me, like, I actually write a book review of all the books I read for, you know, at the beginning of the year, I write a, a long Facebook post. I'm like, hey, these are all the books I read and here's my number one rating. And I actually have this internal rating, which I'll clearly, uh, I'll share right now. It's like <laughs> books either fall into three categories. Did I share this with you last time, by the way? Or no? Uh, no, but you gave me, you gifted me a book on uh, Audible that I've been reading, which is awesome. That's, um, yes. yeah. So... <laughs> So my, I love books so much and, and I only, I primarily read business books, personal development and just like mystical (laughs) books, but I, I rate them as good, really good and orgasmic reading because of like (laughs) (laughs) soul dropping content, you know, like my soul is like illuminated and I'm like, oh, (laughs) which the book I gifted you is falls under orgasmic reading. Oh, nice. No, so I do write a book review every year, and I so many people write to me like, oh, thanks for reading that. Now I'm going to read this book, right? So imagine when you lose sight of who you are, just as simple as that, there's gifts you're essentially prohibiting from giving out to the world because you're so busy doing the stuff you think you should be doing or not doing. So just it's, it's kind of pointless is what I'm trying to say. So do what you got to do, find out who you are, what's important to you and just own it, you know? So totally. I'm a nerdy book reader. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that's, so. that's awesome. Um, you know, some of the most successful people in the world read, you know, a ton. So oh, yeah, nothing absolutely. to be ashamed of. Um, so why don't we talk about your business and share the awesomeness about that with everyone? So, uh, so I, yeah, so let me just share. So one of the things I learned in my retreat was I wanted to get, um, learn to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I joined an improv class about a year and a half ago. It was a year. It's been over a year. I joined this class, um, lots of fun, definitely something to think about for people if they're ever interested in like just having fun and being goofy and making fun of themselves. Uh, but at the class, I met a woman who is a cancer coach and I have to mention her. Yeah. Uh, and because she said, Oh, I'm a cancer coach. I was like, what, what is like, what does that mean? And she's like, Oh, I coach, um, cancer people that are going through cancer. And I was like, Oh my God, how did you get into that? Why? And at this point I'm already thinking I want to become a a grief coach because of how much I've gone and learned and inherently naturally have shared. And a lot of people, you know, on the side I've been talking to. So I was already thinking that. And she said, well, I'm a cancer coach because I'm a five time cancer survivor. And so my jaw dropped like five times. Oh my gosh. She's like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And again, you speak about people that take like these crazy experiences and turn them into gifts. She's somebody that has done that. She is now my mentor, but uh, you know, just like so honored by her story and just honored to know her. She's my mentor, her, and I do have to give a shout out to her. Her company is called the cancer journey. 
her and her business partner have been impacted by cancer, her being a five-time cancer survivor, her business partner losing her mom to cancer, and her husband had cancer. But they just, not only do they coach cancer patients, they coach caregivers that, you know, like, so I would have actually benefited from her when I was with my sister. And they also train people to become cancer coaches or anything of such extreme magnitude. So that is where I started with her. I told her my vision. I was like, I, I believe I have to do something with what my experiences and I would love your help. And so that's when it started the journey of becoming a coach. And that is now my business, a grief coach coaching. And so the company is called grieve and live, because again, it's about opening yourself up to your emotions, surrendering to what you're going through, through your grief and also living because we're not going to just coop ourselves up in a corner and cry and pretend we don't have reality of the world, but there is a way to balance that all out in a beautiful way. And, um, you know, if I go into a garden and get overwhelmed with grief and emotion, I honor that. But I also think that people can learn how to do that as well. So it's Mm -hmm. been really fun, both from turning this experience, getting trained and now doing this with other people, like actually coaching them, because I do believe people can, can work with grieving and actually have a beautiful learning, you know, like whether it's, you learn who you are or you learn what's important to you, or you learn how to honor the respective person that passed away or or the expected event. Um, I don't actually just focus on grief. I focus on anything where, um, people may find me of service to them. And so I don't really turn people away if they have, I've actually worked with people that have gone through divorce and also with people that have gone through, um, just unexpected layoffs as well, just because of like, Oh shit. Like I'm financially in a bad situation. Um, and then just pure from self identity. So not necessarily anything traumatic, but just have that sense of self awareness, knowing that they want to um, increase and make their life better. So I work kind of from a spectrum. My main focus is grief, but I think there's a ton of other stuff too. So it's been a lot of fun. I'm just super, honestly, I am just so honored that I get to work with people that are willing and open and are allowed uh, are vulnerable with me about their own personal experiences. And now, you know, like, it's just like this beautiful symbiotic relationship between I'm vulnerable, they're vulnerable and we're just making their life better. Yeah. That's so cool. So when you, when you're with someone and you're helping them and, and you're seeing them either change state or find happiness, or maybe it's just process all those tough emotions. Um, but, but you know that, that you're making a difference in one of your clients lives. Like what's going through your body and mind? Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) I guess the best way, because analogies are the only way to explain it. (laughs) I'll give it to my, uh, first of all, it's just such an honor. Like I know this is where my purpose and soul lives because it just seeing that transformation. It's just so, um, Amazing, And I focus primarily on one-on-one. So it's very private. It's very confidential. There's no, you know, like big interventions or massive (laughs) audiences, you know, Uh, no recordings type of stuff. But um, it's 
amazing. And it's almost like maybe you might experience it. It's almost like going to a restaurant and being completely not just you have a level of kind of what you think it's going to be, but completely amazed and wowed by that first bite of that big juicy steak that you're like, whoa. (laughs) Or for the dessert lovers, that dessert that you're like, I was not expecting that. Amazing taste out of that tiny little bite. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. <laughs> so I guess that's the best way to explain it. Just like the pure joy of simplicity of seeing somebody super from a dare I wouldn't call it dark, like bad dark, but just, you know, from a tough place where they feel there's no out to a place where they, um, we call it the pit actually, like they're in this pit and they just can't seem how to get out. They don't see that light mm-hmm. and, you know, just getting from, recognizing, okay, you're in a pit and like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I should be in a pit cause I'm going through a lot yeah. to getting out, you know, and moving and knowing that they will be able to come out of that. So. Yeah. No, that's, I, I just also want to say, um, when I asked you that question, uh, I don't know if you realized, but your face, I just saw like the biggest smile I've ever seen <laughs> and you're doing it now too. And it's just so cool. And it's just, it's just proof that like, whoever's listening to this right now, if you have something bad in your life, do not fret because you can turn it around. And I'm sitting here talking to Diana who has been through probably the most traumatic thing I've ever heard about in my life. And she's sitting here smiling ear to ear, (laughs) changing people's lives, complete and totally perfect. You're a case study. You're a testimonial. You are the living proof that this can work and personal growth works. Grief coaching works. Yeah. Um, call Diana. Where, where can people find you? What's your What's your website email? Yep. Uh, tell the everyone. website is WIP right now. Work in progress, <laughs> but it is com. So if you just went, it would just say like thanks for visiting. You yeah. can reach me via Instagram or our Facebook group um, or email, and that is all Grieve and Live the Instagram. My email is just Diana at Grieve and Live. I get that directly, and then the Facebook group Facebook group is also Grieve and Live as well. So. All those are, you know, send me a message, I am me, or a request to be added to the group, and I'll add everybody. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And then, and then I will say that the 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 Facebook and the Instagrams are really just forums on like, hey, you can grieve and live, and you know, if you're having a bad moment, I want to highlight, right? Like earlier, you 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 saw me. I was like, you know, I had tears, right? Yeah. So. Like I'm definitely smiling now, but you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like in one hour I haven't gone through a spectrum of emotions. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure the audience heard and I just want them, the audience to know that you can go through these emotions and you're not going to end your day crying. A lot of people don't want to cry because they feel they'll never stop crying. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll end up being like me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so. no, that's a really good point because I, uh, people are afraid to process these deep, heavy emotions. You know, like you said, in a matter of an hour, you can let it feel it, let it go, go from the saddest lows to the highest joys. And um, that's the most fulfilling experience of life is to feel all the feelings. Yeah. And they're not good or bad. They're just feelings expressing where you are. And you don't want to be a puppy that's stuck shaking their ass. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to express their emotions. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. So, com. Diana at Grieve and Live. And I hope to hear from many folks. So, awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining the show. And I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Brandon. And thanks, guys. Hope you enjoyed. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. Take care. (laughs) 
Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Adventure Days podcast.